0: Good evening everyone. It's that Weems guy here for another episode. Well, perhaps you're listening to this in the morning, so it'd be good morning, but we're recording it at night. Uh, here for this episode is none other than Ken Campbell of Gunsight. How are you doing, Ken?
1: Uh, Lee, it's, it's always good to talk with you.
0: It's good to see you again. Uh, we've met, I believe, in 2014 at the Rogers Shooting School.
1: Uh, I might have had a little darker hair back then. I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I might have as well. But
1: uh, <laughs> Yes, sir. That's where we met. Uh, you know, we got to go out and get training.
0: There you go. And yeah, you know, that says something that you're the, the head of, you know, a very famous school, but you're going to another school to get training.
1: Oh, I'll tell you what, it's uh, the, the day I stop training is the day they'll be putting me in the ground. Um, in the last three, people will tell me, hey, Ken, you work at gunsight you must shoot all the time. Well, you know, I, I don't get to. Um, I, I go down, I go down range to try to help. With classes a little bit, that's not my role. But in the last three years, I've been to uh, uh, Tom Givens, I've been to uh, Gabe uh, White, I've been to uh, uh, Dave spalding You know, they, they've been up in the Arizona area, and so I've gone and done a couple day classes with them. I need somebody to stand behind me with a switch and crack me on the back of the calves and remind me what the fundamentals are shooting every now and again but you got to keep getting training and if you just stick with that one regime and you can get it's almost incestuous
0: right yeah we've got a joke that the the surest way to shoot less is to become a firearms instructor
1: oh that's that's not a joke brother That's, that's fact yeah
0: yeah, so it's fun when you get the guy who just thinks that, uh, oh, I love you. She- you know what? I'll do. I'm going to come be a firearm instructor. Yeah. When they find out, they spend more time, uh, setting up targets and watching other people shoot and doing all the administrative work. Oh,
1: yeah. Cleaning up the range and mm-hmm. getting things all set up. And <laughs> you aren't kidding, but that's okay. It's still a great job.
0: Yeah. So if you would, uh, tell people about you and how you got started. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure, um, I'm blessed to be the CEO of Gunsight Academy, uh, the famed Gunsight Academy that Jeff Cooper founded over 46 years ago. And uh, um, <laughs> you know, in, in in law enforcement, you'll come up to guys and say, "Hey, how's work?" and they'll be very sarcastic and they'll tell you, oh, "I'm living a dream." Well, I'm not being sarcastic. This guy right here gets to live a dream. Uh, I'm blessed at what I get to do. Um, uh, I came to work at the sheriff's office in central Indiana when I was 19. The sheriff there, a fellow by the name of Ernie Hudson, gave me a chance and I was a jail deputy. And that's kind of unusual at 19. And I did that for a few years and, and uh was going to college, I was married, um, had an opportunity to be a probation officer. So I did that about that much of my law enforcement career, but it let me finish college and uh, go Hoosiers, Indiana University, by the way. And, uh, and we, uh, I was then, I was a reserve deputy, uh, but then I was able to come on board as as a full-time deputy. Uh, So I did that. And uh, fortunately, Sheriff Hudson was, he was a lawman. You you would have liked him, Lee. Um, He, he, he truly was a lawman Uh, and uh, he was also a huge believer in training and he he sent us to a lot of different schools i wanted to be a gun guy so i got to go to the state academy instructor school i got to go to ray chapman and masada Yub and uh smith and wesson academy and glock um and it was that was about the first year of glock and uh then i i got to go to Gunsight, and that was 1990 so um i went there and did 250 and uh Did fairly well and again the sheriff was a good guy I think my phone's starting to sag here let me try to lift this back up here hey this this is a new uh mount here so we're we're kind of test running it here so anyway I went to gun sight did did fairly well and the sheriff wanted to come to gun sight so um I got to skip yeah this thing's just sinking fast here let me (laughs) let me tighten tighten this thing up here see if I can get it to stay better Sorry about that. That's right. So he, uh, <laughs> well, I'm turning the wrong knob or something here. <laughs> so the sheriff came and took 250 and I took 499 pistol, uh, level three pistol class. Had a great time. So uh, I don't know, eight, nine months later, he called me and he said, hey, I, I know you did really good and you got to skip that intermediate pistol, that 350 pistol class. Well, I didn't. And I, I'm going to go back and take it. You want to go? And I said, Well, is it department training? He said, Hell yes. And I said, Well, hell yes, I'm going. <laughs> and uh, so, so I got to go back, and that's the Cooper still owned the place and uh, ran the place. Sorry about all this. I'm just, right. it just keeps uh, folding down on me here. And that's what I get for trying something new uh, live as opposed to testing it so i t- i did the 490 uh, 350 class and that's when cooper still picked the folks and uh, bill jeans was ops manager then and that's when i got the nod from cooper saying i'm interested in that man so i came back and went through what was called provost he taught an instructor class and i went through with the likes of people like uh, larry landers and and uh, and so on in the course and then i did my apprenticeships called provost And I came on board full-time in, uh, or I'm sorry, as a part-time instructor in, I believe, 93. So I had a great time doing that. I was working my way up through the ranks at the sheriff's office. Uh, I was a SWAT guy, uh, became a lieutenant and then ops captain. And and, uh, I was politically active back home. I was on township board and then i was on what's called county council which is the county fiduciary body that was interesting being a captain on the sheriff's office and the sheriff offering budgets it was it was an interesting (laughs) um, relationship
0: that's actually prohibited by law here
1: well it it wasn't he in indiana at that point uh, for i I don't know why but you weren't the county executive you were fiduciary body but anyway I digress so uh um i uh <laughs> this thing just doesn't want to stay up here i uh, uh ran for sheriff and uh was very blessed there and and uh, uh won my first term, won my second term Indiana has some limits for constitutional offices. So I had about 13 months left, and I was out at Gunsight and I was leading a memorial service, one of our instructors that had, uh, he and his wife, been killed in a plane crash. And Buzz Mills, who owns Gunsight, great, great man, by the way, great mentor, um, he approached me as we're cleaning up the cookie crumbs, and he says, so uh, what are you going to do when you grow up? I said, what? <laughs> he said, retire. Aren't you retiring? And I said, yeah, I got 13 months left. Um, he said well what are you going to do and i said well i hope you bring me out and let me teach more because one of the part-time instructors he put his hand on my shoulder and he said well why don't we talk about that and uh he talked to me about being the chief operating officer at gunsight and i'm standing there and i'm thinking now ken don't stand here with your mouth hanging open don't stand here with your mouth hanging open and uh talk to him about it And, and i'll tell you lee I had a lot of things flash through my mind when he's talking about offering me this job. And simply put, um, when I came out here in 90, I remember standing on North Range the last day of class, looking around, thinking, this has been a really great opportunity department sent me. I'll never get a come back. Right. Then fast forward, I happened to be working at Gunsight the week that Buzz Mills bought the place. There was another owner for about six years with Gunsight who uh he didn't do a very good job and he ran gunsight into the ground. And frankly, we weren't going to survive. And Buzz and Sonia Mills came in and saved gunsight. Well, I was working that week. I was working with a guy named Pat Rogers, who's infamous in the training industry. Um, he and I were teaching a 499 pistol and the sale consummated at noon on Wednesday. Well, about two o'clock Wednesday afternoon, one of our students shot himself in the foot with his 1911. <laughs> I, thought, Oops. I am so fired. I am so fired the day the new guy buys the place and I get a student shoots himself. So that was the second thing that popped into my head. So anyway, Buzz and I came to terms at NRA in Indianapolis of April of that year. And uh, when I retired uh, at the end of that year, then I came, Sherry and I came out here. We love it out here, like the climate, the political climate and so on. So fast forward another three or four years and we're at the Gunside Alumni Shoot. And that, that's our annual match for our alumni. It's a great shooting match all day. You need to come out and shoot in that. It's fun. Um, so we're there and we surprised Buzz and Sonia. It was their 20th anniversary. And we had a couple of custom 1911s made up. The Serial number was their initials and a number and had them fully engraved by uh, Tyler Gunworks, Bobby Tyler down in Texas. So I surprised them, get them up on stage and present them to them. And buzz and sonia very gracious and grateful and surprised and and then buzz starts mentioning something about well you know ken's done a really nice job here these last three or four years and so on and i notice he's got something in his hands i'm thinking oh i'm gonna get a plaque and son you're doing a hell of a uh-huh. job and and so on and he he unwraps this this frame document and he said the board of directors now that's buzz his wife sonia and Buzz's best friend He says, The board of directors met last month and ken's now the ceo of gunsight and i'm thinking oh hell that's me oh well <laughs> so that's how i ended up ended up with that and i, I do love being here and um again i'm i, I truly am one of these guys who get to live a dream
0: outstanding outstanding all right so so let's backtrack back to you know you're a young cop in indiana and what was the training like then
1: well when ernie hudson took over the sheriff's office as sheriff it, it was pretty poor And it was your basic academy. And then, uh, you know, we'd tie tie the nail aprons on when we'd go out and qualify uh, with our, uh, at that point, it was model 66s. And, uh, you know, you'd have the loose rounds in your nail apron and load from there and, you know, load and holster six live rounds. And it was, uh, it was not strong. Uh, But again, Ernie was a big, he was big in training, whether it was uh, trying to start up the SWAT team, whether it was uh, first aid training, whether CPR training. Uh, we got that for the first time, whether it was firearms and so on. So uh, hazmat training. Um, it, so we started out below ground level and and marched marched right on up.
0: Right. Um, what were the courses of fire like? As far as was it still more NRA PPC based? Or?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's exactly what it was. We were still shooting the fifty yard line then, um, but uh, that changed. Oh, in about eighty. Three or so or no maybe a little later than that to, where they get away with the 50 and we stopped at the at the 25 yeah it was all ppc that's all it was and until we went to gunsight, uh you know the nice thing about the sheriff going is everything became his idea hey and God. we all we know how that works right so uh um but that's how we also started being issued. Uh, we were issued Smith & Wesson 645s at that point, And we switched over to 1911s. And I'm proud to say my my old agency still carries 1911s. All right. All right.
0: Um, what was the firearms instructor school in Indiana? How long?
1: It, it was a week long, 40 hours. Okay. And it was the NRA program, basically. Um, and it was when I went through, it was basically revolver oriented. Uh, and then a few years later, they 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 would they wouldn't even allow you to carry an auto pistol uh, in the basic academy. You had to carry a revolver. Um, so then they switched over, and you started seeing a few more autos, and then you know almost exclusively now. So and I, I got that was one of the things I got to do it, on the job was I got to go help be an adjunct person at the state academy and and help with the firearms program with the basic students.
0: Uh-huh. And so. Was basically your agency then? So you've got the state certification, but then you guys are going to Gunsight, and you're just coming back and doing that in the agency. That's separate from anything the state was doing.
1: That's correct. Then also with uh, with Sheriff Hudson, he was big again in training. So we started bringing in whether it was Gunsight for offsite courses. Bill Jeans with Morgan, uh, Louis Auerbach came for gosh, I don't know how many years Louie came, Pat Rogers came, uh, Colt came, David Scott Donnellan with tactical tracking classes. Uh, we kind of, we tried to become a training hub in central Indiana. So not only did we have law enforcement agencies come, but most critical, most important is we allowed properly vetted citizens to attend training with our guys and gals. Um, a lot of the law enforcement agencies wouldn't pay the money for their guys and gals to come. So I couldn't get the student minimum minimums I needed. But once I could show we vetted the person, they could come. And that, that did several good things. It made great relationships with the public and the police. Let them realize we both put our pants on the same way every day. Um, some of the folks that were a little more affluent realized our training budget wasn't as strong as it could be. And they'd make donations or they'd sponsor somebody. Uh, to take one of the classes. And uh, gosh, I'd reach out to some of the other neighboring agencies and some of the big agencies. And oh, no, no, we take care of our own training. Well, you know, sometimes it's good to hear what they're doing on the West Coast and the East Coast and in Nebraska and what they're seeing. And that's what these itinerant trainers bring to you as opposed to only what agency A or agency B sees that's it's, it's incestuous training. So, uh, we hosted a lot that way. And, and that certainly with me being assigned to the range, that made me a stronger, better firearms instructor. I I can't tell you how much I learned from Louis Auerbach, from Pat Rogers, from Bill Jeans, uh, you know, um, two, two of those three have passed away. That's like the, uh, losing a great library and Bill Jeans is retired. So, you know, I, I was very blessed to be able to work with those guys and, and learn from them. And, and I hope I've I, I retained that much of what they've forgotten.
0: There you go. We, we did a very similar thing at our sheriff's office. Uh, I, I started hosting classes in 2014. And, yeah, you know, I would take one of the slots and I would put one of our other instructors in the other host slot. You know, because typically we get two for hosting sure. the class. Yep. And, you know, we were allowing private citizens to come because that's what took to fill the classes. Yes, and that, sir. That, and then it grew as, as, you know, started developing our firearms instructor group. Uh, one of the other guys kind of took the lead on hosting some courses and we would alternate. I would host one and he would host one, but we would both do the thing where we would take the other slot and give it to another instructor. Right. And so that way we were able to expand our instructor cadre's base of knowledge. And then sometimes when we were bringing... Uh, so like, Tom Givens has been here a number of times. Well, all of the instructors had gone through the classes, so we started putting in line level people as kind of a reward uh, sure. for good work, putting them in the classes and spreading that knowledge all throughout the agency. And you know, it's just you—you you were a, an agency head, so maybe you can help speak to this that some of our Type A tre- training brethren just don't understand, and some of the people in the training community is don't understand us you know why is it there more training why is it there better training well one is you just don't have the time somebody's got to answer the 911 calls
1: yeah somebody's got to patrol
0: somebody's got to work the wrecks and the budget numbers are there and yep. and, and even if you had more money to do training you still got to have the personnel to be able to do it
1: yeah you got to have bodies to fill those shifts right uh, I, I understand. You just got to do the best you can with what you've got and try to maximize that as much as you can. And I know that sounds like a, uh, I never was a politician. I was an elected official, by the way, right. that sounds like a, a political answer, but that's right. what you've got The real world is, right. you know, some, somebody got to be out there patrolling right. and, uh, either you got the bodies or you don't.
0: Right. Yeah. Our patrol division is 32 deputies we're like 55 sworn and we have four high schools in the county that have football teams. Well, if all yeah. four of them are home on Friday night yeah, and you've yeah. got to have four or five deputies at each ball game yep, and then you've got to have the shift man, yep. and guess what? There's not. A- oh yeah.
1: And I don't know about you. I had several of my deputies were coaches, basketball, mm-hmm. football, and so on. Yeah. So they're there and, and that's that's well worth the time investment right having that that police oh, yeah. officer coaching those those uh, uh great uh young men and women but they, they lost a couple more people too and you mm-hmm. know i was never shy on coming out and working uh i i i never drove an unmarked car i always wore a uniform always wore body armor but so because every marine's a rifleman yeah. every deputy's a deputy and so i'd come out too but still there's only so much you can do with resources you've got available to you
0: right we have 15 deputies that are tied up directing traffic every time school lets in and school lets out (laughs) and so we have to schedule in services i've got a bunch of range work coming up where my class starts at nine and it's over by one so that the deputies that have to be at a two o'clock elementary school that lets out can leave the range in time to be at their school crossing yep yeah, because they, they, they can't get there till nine because they had to get direct traffic in the mornings, sure. and then they got to leave by one, so they can get there. And that, right. that's just the kind of stuff that uh, people don't see and don't want to see. It's all the no. it's all the chiefs or the sheriff's fault that we don't have more, right?
1: Yeah, and, and, so, and sometimes it is. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it is. You get the yeah. ones that carry a briefcase as opposed to a uh, as opposed to a pistol or a carbine right. or a shotgun, right. but sometimes right. it's just simple economics and logistics, right?
0: And you know you got to get the funding. The taxpayers have to pay oh, for yeah. it. Oh
1: yeah. Yep. And, you know You're there's there.
0: creative ways, as we've already discussed, to get around it, but it's hard if you got an agency of any size.
1: I'll tell you when uh, my my first budget cycle or second budget cycle as sheriff, and I was a recession era sheriff. I'd been on the county council, so I'd sat with most of the people on that board, and uh, they're trying to cut here and cut there, and and I was always very conservative and I I didn't overspend my lines and I stayed within them and so on. And they were cutting my ammunition line. And and I looked at the county attorney and I said, would you kind, and that's not a prosecutor, that's their legal representative. Would you kindly explain to them what the retainer fee, just the retainer fee will be on the next shooting? Now, Sheriff, you know, I don't work for you. I work for them. I said, that is exactly why I'm asking you to tell them that. But their response was, (laughs) Well, Sheriff, we know you'll find that money someplace else. And they were right. I found it. But I could have also used that money for dare, or I could yeah. have used that other money I found for car repairs or, you know, anything along in there. But you know, you just gotta, you just gotta yeah. work your tail off and, and get it done for your guys and gals. Cause if it comes down to using that firearm, um, my era, it's gotta be Mickey Mantle, Hank Aaron. Pete Rose, it's gotta be those guys stepping up to the plate when it comes to that. And otherwise, and quoting my old friend, Louie Auerbach, every one of those shots that misses goes into the busload of nuns and orphans that's driving behind. Yep. You can't have that.
0: Yep. And again, there's all sorts of priorities. As you mentioned, if you take money from one place, that's money gone from another. I think I've told in a previous episode, but I'll rehash it here. Uh, it took me three budget cycles to fully equip patrol rifles for everybody. Yes. I, I bought the, the rifles themselves in one budget cycle, bought aim points in another. And then we took seized funds to buy slings and flashlights and extra magazines for those rifles.
1: Yep. Uh, we, we ended up with uh, DRMO guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got 1911s. And uh, what I did is I had our armor go through them and do what he could And then I sent them up to uh, one of our local gunsmiths and he milled the slides. And I hated doing that to these GI guns, right? I mean, Springfields and Remington Rands and all that. But, uh, and they they belong to the U.S. government. At any point, they they could come back and say, we want these back. So I had them milled and I put uh, Novak sights on them turned them into real decent guns. And they were, I mean, I didn't have to change the barrels or anything. And that's how I got uh, like my reserve deputies. I could issue them firearms for the first time. We were able to get M16A1s through DRMO. Uh, I neutered them. We, we didn't need select fire on patrol. So the armor neutered those. So they're semi-auto. So that's how I got more guns out on patrol. Supervisors had M14s. So, uh, but yeah, we just had to be creative in how we did it, whether it's budget cycles or finding grants or government programs or, or whatever there was. And that's how we got it done.
0: Excellent. Uh, you mentioned the Smith & Wesson Academy. Could you discuss yeah. it?
1: Sure. I, I got, uh, got to go two or three times or four. Um, I got to go for revolver armor school. That was two weeks long. It was an old gentleman named John Contra that ran the program there in Springfield. And man, the end of that first week, your fingers hurt because you truly learned to work on guns. You were fitting and filing and so on. You'd take that gun, do whatever piece you were up to him. And he'd look at it, shake his head, point point for you to go back to your chair. And uh, so that was a two week school. That was a great time. That was in the early 80s. And then um, I did a refresher or two. And then when we went to auto pistols, uh, I got to go to the auto pistol instructor school. Uh, John, at that point, had passed away um, with all due respect to the folks that ran it. Then it wasn't the same without John. Um, He was just one of those guys had been there forever and knew it all inside out. And then I got to go to the Smith and Wesson auto pistol instructor school. And uh, that was my first real training, actual training, just involving an auto pistol. And, and that, was, that was in uh, St. Louis, uh, a traveling school they did. And that was a great school. And I, I really learned more about a traditional double-action, semi-automatic pistol at that point. Uh, and that's why my first introduction to Glocks also. That was the first year Glocks were out. And uh, there were two guys there in class that had them. We called them, of course, the Glockheads. And uh, we got to shoot those, and thought, eh, "I'm going to, again, all due respect to my friends with Glocks, I'll keep my Smith and Wesson at that point." So, um, so um, anyway, but I, of course, I, I like 45 better than than I do the nine. Just that's just my person. You know, you may like Coke, I may like Pepsi. So,
0: all right. you know, it's funny you mentioned the the armorer schools. So the revolver school was two weeks long, correct?
1: It was. It's not anymore. I think it's a week long now.
0: All right. Uh, I went through the Armorer School for the third gen smiths in long about 2005 2006, and the tuition then was I want to say 450 dollars, and then you had to buy like a 150 dollar toolkit, yeah. and it was a three day class. Huh. And then yeah, to, just... to contrast that, we were looking at making a change in our firearms. And I went to a Glock armor school to learn more about the Glock and during the process. And it was a one-day school.
1: Yeah, you put all those parts in a bag and kind of <laughs> shake it up and it turns into a Glock.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so a one-day school, uh, the tuition was $150, bucks and they gave you the tool because it yeah. was like a
1: punch. One, yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> we we host Glock out here for the, the armor yeah. school and the advanced armor school. And uh, it, it it hadn't changed any. And yeah, yeah. Uh, we, you know, we're, great, we're great partners in uh chris uh edwards, edwards. who's yeah. been with he's been with glock forever mm-hmm. he used to be a deputy down in louisville mm-hmm. um uh he, he's the head of that program i think he's the third senior employee at glock now there's gaston glock their hr person and then chris edwards yeah. well anyway chris comes out when he can because he, mm-hmm. he's a multiple guns i grad and actually mm-hmm. he's part of our adjunct faculty he's one of our one of our instructors so mm-hmm. uh Part-time guys, but we love having the Glock folks come out, but it sure had he 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 was going through his daughter was taking a class one yep. time and he said, Hey, if you guys bring your Glocks in, you know I'll go through them while I'm you know, I'm just here hanging out. And as much as I tease about Glocks, mm-hmm. if my wife could be hearing us, she'd say how tell them how many you own. Well, I'm not gonna admit it publicly, but anyway. <laughs> I take my wife's Glock 19 in to have him look it over. And he comes to me and he he says, can I keep these? And he's got a handful of parts. I said, what's wrong? He goes, oh, nothing. He says, that is one of the earliest Gen 1 Glocks I've seen in a long time. And I want to keep these parts to use as examples in armor school. I put all new parts in the gun. (laughs) I said, well, sure, sure, Chris, whatever you want to do. So anyway, it's good times.
0: Yeah, he, he is such a good guy. I've had the pleasure of doing his Leosa qualification numerous times. And oh, he,
1: just, yeah, he lived, yeah, lived down in the Atlanta area. Yeah, of course, he was in that class at Rogers as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, just a yeah. great
0: guy. Yeah. um, You know, it's, it's funny. I think that little tidbit has a lot to do with why Glock became so predominant in the market because all right, if I'm having to maintain the Smith & Wessons, you Know if you have to exchange an extractor, well, that's got to be in a hand fit extractor. Yep, hand fit to that gun.
1: Yep, sure and, does. Yeah,
0: you know, we had a problem where somebody put parts in the wrong bins <laughs> <laughs> and they all look light, like springs and they yeah. put the springs in the wrong bins. And so we thought we had a bunch of uh, bad parts at one point in time, and finally somebody figured out, hey, wait a minute, I think this yeah. goes in, in that, and we solved yeah. a lot of our problems there. Um. But, you know, agencies running on clock, anybody can fix a clock. Yeah.
1: Jeff, Jeff Cooper called it a Duffer's gun. Mm-hmm. They, they work, they run. They're, to me, they're like a Timex watch. You know, they, they'll just run it you know, and go out and bury it in the rain. shield, will come back a year from now, hose it off, reload it, put a little lube on it. It's going to keep on running. It, right. To me, it doesn't have the character and soul of a well-worn 1911 But it's something, you know, a lot of cops don't maintain their equipment, their guns. And that's what sometimes that's what they need. They need a Timex watch, not a Rolex.
0: Um, What about Chapman?
1: Interesting, interesting class. Uh, That wasn't a shooting class. It was all lecture. Um, Big, big, powerful man. Um, Big, powerful personality. Uh, that's one that I wish I could have taken a shooting class from, but it would just ne- never and Chuck Taylor's another one I, I missed out on, but, uh, I would like liked to, but the, it was a three-day lecture class. He and, uh, Masad Ayub did and, uh, real good. I was a real young cop then that was, uh, probably 19, I don't know, early eighties, somewhere along in there, they were doing a traveling show. but, uh, he, he's one. I, I, again, I'd like to really pick that brain.
0: Uh, you mentioned that you brought Louis Auerbach into your place in Indiana. Was that when he was with Gunsight or with the Yavapai?
1: Well, um, Louis Louis came and took classes at Gunsight. Um, Cooper liked him and hired him, and then he had to go back to South Africa. And then Cooper was able to get him back here as his sponsor, and Louis became a, a citizen. and He was not he was a, a staff member and then ops manager for a while, and then he left and started his own company, Yavapai oh. Firearms Academy. Um, But he still came back periodically and taught at gunsight. I met him at gunsight. Uh, Actually, Sheriff Hudson met him there as well. And uh, he had him come to the sheriff's office and start doing classes. And I was assigned to the range. And that's how I got. I've actually got instructor certification number two from Yavapai Firearms Academy. Um, Louie and I taught more classes together than I can count, whether it was here at gun sight, or whether it was back home at the sheriff's office, or I worked for him somewhere around the country. Um, as a matter of fact, Lee, my dog's named after him. Um, <laughs> Louis like Louis liked dogs more than he did people, and I'm okay right. with that. Right. And Louis passed away about the same time we got this golden doodle puppy, and uh, we checked with with Lee, his his spouse, and said, "Would you mind?" And she says he would love that. He'd always said he wanted to come back as a dog and live in some nice person's house. So, uh, Louie Louis lives on, he's kind of got the same hair. It's got that hair. that kind
0: of goes wild. So, <laughs> well, you mentioned Indiana. One of, one of my degrees is from the university of Georgia, which, you know, won the big championship this week. Yep. The last time they did it, you know, 41 years ago, Vince Dooley was the head coach and Erk Russell was the defensive coordinator Well, Erk Russell left the next year and took over at Georgia Southern, which is a smaller university here in Georgia. And he ended up winning multiple national championships with them at the, the field championship division level, or the what used to be one double A. And he, he later wrote a book. And in that book, he said it used to bother him that when he was at Georgia, that people named their sons Vince and their dogs hurt. And then he moved to South Georgia and finally realized that people think more of their dogs than they do their children. <laughs>
1: yeah there's there's a lot of truth to that yep. <laughs> that's yeah. good stuff yeah
0: the the old veterinary joke is you know tell someone that their dog has a condition and that it might be hereditary and they said well i don't have that neither does my husband
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna steal that one from you brother <laughs> that's good
0: <laughs> um any good louis hourbuck stories other than the dog you'd like to share
1: yeah, I'll tell you what, um he could diagnose shooter problems better than anybody I ever had the pleasure of working with. And and uh Jeff Cooper thought uh he and Pat Rogers were two of the top five in the world with instructors. But I'm standing on the range one day, and one of the students comes up to Louis and and he says, I want this real high speed, low drag, you know, one of those kind of classes. And Louie takes his sunglasses off and he took the camel out of his mouth. And he said, Just what exactly is a uh High-speed gunfight, slick. And he looked at the guy, and it sounded like he was being smart, but he wasn't. But then Louis went on to wax on eloquently about how, until you master the basics, all high-speed low drag is is a mastery of the basics. It's it, it's under stress, to be able to deliver on demand, and that was one of the that was a, that was a really obviously it stuck with me years later. Just what exactly is a high-speed gunfight? It's, it's the mastery of the basics. And what, what is that saying? Uh, the master has failed more times than the, than the student has tried. Right. Um, and that, there's a lot of truth to that.
0: Yeah. I don't like to use the terms basic and advanced in, in my class structure. Because I look at it as there are the essentials. And then we're adding layers on top of those, but you're just competing the, you're still conducting the essentials. You're just doing it with more, more difficult challenges
1: in front of you. Right. Right. You're just putting more stress, more things to think about, more things to do um, on, but it's what it comes down to um, site picture, trigger press, follow through on both. Right. What what it all boils down to is that if you don't have site picture, side alignment, You don't have proper trigger press. You don't have follow through both. Um, You're relying on luck, but luck favors the prepared.
0: Outstanding. Um, Anybody else in that area you would like to to mention?
1: Well, yeah, I've got to go back to Jeff Cooper. Mm -hmm. Um, A a lot of these young instructors nowadays um, think a lot of these things they're teaching are new, unique, their idea, and it's a derivation of what Jeff Cooper came up with as he developed the modern technique um i was listening to one recently on a podcast or a youtube or whatever talking about this you know, innovative brass bead front sight yeah new and innovative um i think i remember reading about those in the 1800s not sure but um so Jeff, Jeff Cooper was a real unique fellow, you know, and I've heard the stories, you know, gun sights, the Southwest Dinosaur League, and, you know, we're teaching, it's from people who never been here, but we'll discuss that later, probably, but we have evolved over these 46 years, that's one of the great things about the modern technique, it wasn't developed to be static, you only let people shoot Weaver, no, no, we don't, we shoot a, a a fighting stance. We teach people to shoot with strong foot forward. We teach them to foo, shoot with uh, support side foot forward. Uh, we teach them to shoot with both feet, you know, on the line. It, it's, we're not going to be in that perfect shooting stance when the flag flies. So Cooper was, it's just one of these guys you need to read, whether it's his books like the to ride, shoot straight, speak the truth, and so on, or what, what are my favorites are called the gargantuan gunsight sight gossips. Uh, he, he wrote on the back page of Guns and Ammo magazine for years called Cooper's Commentaries, and they're just little excerpts, a few yes. paragraphs, and those were all consolidated into three different volumes, and whether you want to re- read about philosophy, shooting history, the history of the Baker flag, the history of the scout rifle, uh, sights, what his belief was on uh, different shooting stances, it's all in there, and, and it's, it's a great history lesson of the world, much less shooting. Um, I, I've got mine, and I keep the little yellow sticky pad notes, and I'll write scout rifle, and I'll tag it on that page, so if I need to go back to it, I can find it, so Jeff Cooper is one of those guys that really impacted all the firearms instruction, I think, currently being done, I think 95% of it is a derivation of what he started when he when he was able to consolidate and turn it into lesson
0: plans. Yeah. Uh one of the thrills that I had when I was able to visit Gunside a few years ago for a class was to in the classroom there was a, you know, a glass case. And in the case were like some of Mr. Creeper's lesson plans and I opened the various yes. pages and everything. And I went by and tried to read everything on every page that I could. Yeah. And it's just okay. Everything that we're doing, in modern training, evolves from that.
1: It does. It truly does. Yes. You know, something neat we're doing. One of our students, we call him Gunsight Family. One of our family members, he had two sons in one of our youth classes this summer. Well, he volunteered to go down into the the sconce, the Cooper Home Library. And he's got a program. So he's cataloged every book in Jeff Cooper's library. He just came back and finished it okay. um, a couple of weeks ago. And soon we'll be able to produce a list of all the books in Jeff Cooper's library. And that's talk about an eclectic mix of books. Right. You think it was only about shooting or whatever. It's not. It's world history. It's motor car racing. It's I'll tell you a fun Jeff Cooper story. Um right. I was next to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and there are ways you could do uh, track escorts, getting folks in and generally was donations to help the uh, uh, the motors so they could go to parades and things yeah. like that, but they'd let others help. Well, I arranged through a buddy of mine, Jeff Cooper was a big motor car and motor racing enthusiast, even wrote a book on it. That's actually how uh, Harris Publications started printing him was through originally his book was a motor car racing book. But anyway, he was he and Janelle and another couple were coming to the Indianapolis 500. Well, I called a buddy of mine. Hey, Lee, can you help me out with a track escort? And I'd let them know, and uh, you just blow right through all the checkpoints, you know, because you're coming in under escort. So I can get you in, I can't get you out. Well, you'd have thought I gave him a, a footlocker full of hundred dollar bills. Um, it, it just And they never forgot it. Even Mrs. Cooper to, to the end would always say, oh, and I, I still remember us going into the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. <laughs> you know, we can do something nice like that for people that have altered our world in such a positive way. It just, uh, yeah. it, it's wonderful.
0: Uh, you, you referenced earlier, yeah, a lot of people had things to say about gun sites. But they've never been to Gunsight.
1: No, they have not. Um, Hey, I'm watching the battery on my phone here. I hope we're we're gonna keep going here. Um, Yeah, well, we'll, foolishly, I'll read some of the comments on some social media, and uh, it'll say uh, you know they'll make some comment. Well, I'll look them up in our student database. We've got it all the way back to day one. They've never been here, so it's interesting for them to be able to make their uh, informed opinion without much real information. Um, you know, I I would suggest folks go go on duck, duck go and type in gunsight and read some of the after action reports that students are uh, are writing after they leave gunsight. Yeah, we're going to po- put we post them on our website. But of course, you're going to think, well, they only post the good ones. You go on there and read. Is, is everybody going to be 100% happy? There's no way in the world. But 99% of them are, and, and I stand by what those folks write on those, uh, those commentaries. So, you know, some of these folks, they're posting negative. They've never been to gun sight. They've never experienced it.
0: Right. Uh, would you care to delve into the rating system?
1: Sure. It's our grading system. I'm, I'm going to turn around here and grab a charger cord. Sure. That's sure. Well,
0: what we mean by our rating system is for classes like the 250 pistol, um, there are multiple ratings that a student can receive based upon uh, their performance in class. As soon as Mr. Campbell here gets his phone plugged in, uh, we'll let him explain it in more detail.
1: Yep. Sorry about that. I, that's, you know, that's again, the the thing about uh, live stuff like this is (laughs) that uh, you get the warts right along with it. So our our grading system is something that Jeff started years ago. And uh, what he did is,
0: let me get it plugged in here.
1: Okay, we're back in business. What he did was um, he needed to grade classes and he didn't wanna give a, a, a numerical percentage. He called it a certificate of completion, a marksman, a marksman one and an expert rating. And a certificate of completion uh, means you came, you learned, you did okay, but you've got a long way to go. A marksman means you came and you did a pretty good job. And a marksman level lets you go to the next level, of course. Um, A marksman one means you came with a skill set, you got better at your skill set. And an expert, it's called the golden E. The expert rating is not common, and it means you came at a very high level, you excelled throughout, and, and you get this, this expert rating. Now, old, and, and our grading is done subjectively. It's not based on your score punching holes in paper. Um, some of our competitive shooters come, and they'll do real well when the target turns and they punch holes in the target. We're a gunfighting school we're here to teach you how to fight with a weapon system we've got live fire shoot houses we got live fire outdoor simulators um, and that's what it's based upon so when you go through those live fire simulators that's really where the grade's made those instructors are watching you working with you seeing what you do how you respond to it do you make use of concealment and cover do you get hits do you shoot good guy targets do you listen and learn so you don't make The same mistakes the next day, and your grade is really made in those simulators. The paper score is might be a little way to bump you a little bit, but if you screw up in the simulators, you're not going to get that that expert or or maybe not even an M1. And I'm old school guy where you and I'd be arguing as coaches, well, is this guy going to be a marksman or a marksman one? And Jeff would simply say, "Would you take him with you in a fight?" Well, yes, sir, I would and he's a marksman one, and we've done that on the job. You know, certain guys that uh-huh. you're happy to take in with you on a fight, and there's a few others you're thinking, buddy, why don't you watch watch the doors outside? Um. <laughs> so th- that's how the grading system works, and uh, truly, and and if you get an expert rating at Gunsight, you you get a twenty-four karat gold raven pin that we give to you. Uh, it's not plated; it's twenty-four karat gold raven pin because it's something that needs to be acknowledged and recognized.
0: Sure. All right. Um, Anything that I haven't asked you about tonight that you would like to talk about?
1: You know, folks, you need to keep getting training. I know it's expensive. And when I was a young deputy, married, two kids, a dog, um, you know, working part-time jobs. I did everything I needed to do, whether it was saving deposit on pop bottles, working some more extra jobs. I'd negotiate with my boss. Okay, look, if if I can come up with a way to pay the tuition, will you uh, give me department ammo and not make me take vacation time? Um, I, I'd do everything I could so I could keep getting that training. I can't rely on the agency to send me to training. Um, and and uh, then the other part of that is if you come back and you don't share it, shame on you. Share that training. You know, you may not be the department instructor, but you got partners you work with, and they they may be the ones who are saving your bacon uh, next call. So share that knowledge with them, so that you two are on that that your squad, whatever it happens to be. You're all on the same page. But guys and gals, keep getting training, especially in today's age. Um, I I hate to sound like the old cops when I came on the job, you know, right after Miranda. Oh, I don't know how you're ever going to do the job well, improvise, adapt, overcome. We do. And so I don't want to sound like that, but you know, we didn't, the the young cops today are facing something that we didn't face when we came on the job with some of the public attitude. Now remember the, the people that are complaining all the time are the ones who get the publicity. There's a ton of great Americans out there that are very much on law enforcement side. They just don't get the publicity. There's a ton of those, but all these cameras and all these other things going on, it's changed a bit, and I guess it was good for me to transition into my next phase of life.
0: There, yeah, you, you know, I'm not in the position anymore where I deal with this type of thing. But you know, anytime there was some big mass or big high profile protest around the country involving law enforcement, I could just go ahead and start setting it up that the citizens that would come forward that would want to start providing meals for our staff. Yeah, we'd have to start scheduling that because there were people that would come and make a point of saying that's those folks that are against you. You know, they're, they're not everybody. They're not yeah, everybody. There's still folks not. out here that know what you're doing.
1: I'll tell you when I, when I was a baby policeman, still an FPO, um, I was riding along with an old captain and we were going, <laughs> how much this impressed my brain. We were driving eastbound on Noble street approaching Indianapolis Avenue. And we passed it's about two, three o'clock in the morning. And we passed this, vagrant looking guy, probably drunk. And the, and the captain made some disparaging remark about him. We got up at the stop sign and he stopped, sat there a minute. He looked over at me. He goes, don't, don't ever do that. And I'm thinking what well, I did is don't, don't ever make an assumption like I just did. Says, that, that may be the nicest guy in the world right there. Yeah. I made an assumption based on his appearance and time of day and so on. He goes, you know, it's easy for the, for the jackasses of the world to get in your brain. And you think and think and prejudice you think everybody's like that mm-hmm. the vast vast majority of people we deal with are good people and they are happy to see us right. even in the worst moment in their lives but we don't hear from them and we don't remember them so that's what you've got to remember young policemen and obviously i did and i hope i was able to share that same thing with the many many young deputies and police officers that i got to work with in my career
0: there you go um i thought of another question all of a sudden yes sir uh Tell everybody about the off-campus training that Gunsite offers.
1: Oh yeah, hey, have you, you know if you've got a range that will let us work from the holster, have restrooms, have some classroom facilities, uh, restaurants not far away, um, maybe some steel targets. That's not a deal breaker. You know, Gunsite will come to you. We send mobile training teams to you, and we try to work out a deal with the local range. Whether we pay a the student pays a per person range fee or just like you mentioned earlier get a couple of free seats now what that gun club or what that department does with that those free seats is up to them right. they may want to give it to their officers they may want if it's a gun club they may want to raffle it off use it as a money maker and so on and most of our offsite training are 3 days and we send gunsite instructors to you to do those classes we we do them now in Lebanon Indiana we do them in Colorado uh uh South Carolina um, Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, that's, a, that's another venue we'll talk separately about. Right. Uh, but we're always looking for venues. We do private events at, at private ranges too. We can do that. All you have to do is contact us. Uh, in, in this case, you can contact me, Ken at gunsight.com. But I'm going to refer you to our training director, Lou Gosnell, Lou, L-E-W, at gunsight.com. And you can set that up and we, we'll work out the price and, and so on. Now, Nashville, Tennessee, Royal Range. What a great location we've got there. We actually do the five-day 250 pistol class there because they've got an indoor shoot house. It's munitions, but that doesn't matter. It's still, it's a live fire shoot house. So in, at gun sight, you get two indoor simulators and two outdoor simulators. At Royal Range, you get four indoor. Well, with some folks, the indoor simulators are more realistic for their world than, than outdoors are. So we have gunside instructors. We got a few that live in that area. We kiddingly call them the, the Tennessee Mafia. Um, we've got some great instructors live in that area, or we bring them in from other places. And, and they teach at Royal Range. So uh, we try to come to your neighborhood as best we can. Um, we certainly want you to come here to Arizona. Gosh, come experience the hot desert in northern Arizona. Um, when you go to the off sites, depending on where it is, it may be like the county fair, Royal Range, maybe like the state fair, we'll come on out to Disneyland and uh, see see what we can do it. You know, we're, we're 3,200 plus acres. We've got 27 ranges, We've got multiple indoor and outdoor simulators. We can shoot from contact out to 2,400 yards. Um, we, we teach everybody from a little old lady who's a door greeter at Walmart, to the CIA, to various Special Operations Command folks. But our bet, bread and butter is the majority of the folks that are listening to us right now. Right. Pat Rogers used the term earth people. That's our bread and butter of folks and always has been.
0: Um, the three-day classes, say like the, I know the, the five days called pistol 250 for the first class. The three-day would be pistol 150,
1: is that correct? Yeah, we do, we do three-day pistol 150. Three day carbine, one, two, three. Oh, I'm sorry. We're also up in the Anchorage, Alaska. We do off sites up there in the summer. Okay. Um, we do three day shotguns, which are one sixties, and uh, then we'll also. You tell us what you want. We'll build it. Um, in Lebanon later, Lebanon, Indiana later this summer, we're going to do a day and a half pistol, day and a half carbine. Um, it, what it now? The downside to those three day classes. They're really good intro to and they're really good refreshers, but they don't let you go to the next level course because we don't have the simulators. We don't have live fire shoot houses and outdoor simulators in those classes. And that's critical to let you be able to advance to the next level.
0: All right, so but those classes are unrated?
1: That, that is correct. They're not They're not a graded class, but uh-huh. what it does for you is you're in Georgia, you're in central Indiana, and you think, boy, I'd really like to go to gun but before I commit to you know, a five-day class, you know, travel all that far and so on and so on. Let me get a taste of it here. And then you come and take that 150 pistol class and think, gosh, if they were able to do this much with me here, just think what they could do with me on site.
0: Okay. Uh, Anything else we'd like to cover about gun sight?
1: No, we love seeing people. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Another way can help getting you there. There's a, an organization called the Jeff Cooper Legacy Foundation, and it's a uh, 501c3 that uh, started up with the Cooper family after Colonel Cooper passed away, and uh, we help raise money for it and other folks do, and it's run by the family, uh, the two of the daughters, Lindy and Christy and granddaughter Vicki, and you go to the Jeff Cooper Legacy Foundation webpage, they do scholarships for tuition to the 250 pistol class here in Arizona. That's about $1,900. Now, you still got to pay your hotel and your travel and your ammunition and meals and so on. But that makes you have skin in the game. And I, I think that's important. You need to have skin in the game. If I gift it to you 100%, it's not it's not valued as much to you. But that's a way that can pay for a good chunk of that trip. Um, yeah, you know, we we can help you save money too. Whether you look at the lodging on our webpage, if you call some of the hotels direct that we list and say, "Oh, I'm coming to Gunsight, you get a discount. It's basically about a government rate, but that that's a nice deal. The bed and breakfast community here love our students. They're not party animals. They come, they rent the place. The, the, about the most they ask for is if they've got any old towels they could use for gun cleaning rags. <laughs> um, they don't trash the place. They aren't drinking and carousing. Um, In my prior life, I was involved with Economic Development Commission. Well, here, we're one of those businesses the Economic Development Commission wants because just think of what the the tourism tax is our students pay. Mm -hmm. Heads and beds tax, the rental cars, the the planes, the groceries, the, the restaurants, the fuel all these different things all, all add up that are, that are great positive revenue for Yavapai County, the, uh, the state of Arizona, and, and, and the United States as they're flying in from all over. So uh, anyway, so the Jeff Cooper Legacy Foundation does scholarships. So that's certainly a way to help make your trip a, a more affordable.
0: So that just leaves the one question that you have for everybody, doesn't it?
1: That's right. I got one left. And if you follow us on Facebook. I do Facebook Live, and you always close the same way. When are you coming to gunsight?
0: Well, there you go I, I i'm hoping to get back out there that is in don't the, tease in, me uh, don't tease is, me that is one of the plans uh, I, I really want to come back out i want to do a 250 pistol and uh that, that's really something i've got chalked up i want to do because it's you know in the history and the development of firearms training that's you know one of the the key cornerstones that's all I call it, it Old is. Testament, but I don't want to do that. You know, I, I guess that's, uh, <laughs> it's chapter one, I guess would be the, be the way to put that.
1: I'll go with that. And you come back out, your glass won't be clear like it is now. It can, be, it can be brown like it is with me, and it's on me, my friend.
0: Well, I appreciate that, but I can't hold my ice cream, so I don't know if I can handle the, the brown water. So
1: uh, uh, Careful now, ice cream. Isn't that what, uh, isn't that what Brandon eats? does he eat that ice cream all the time?
0: could be, could be. yeah you know, tom Gibbons says he's not sure if i'm a cop because i don't drink coffee and i don't drink bourbon so that's oh uh,
1: you don't drink coffee either man and i've uh, liked you all these years
0: <laughs> <laughs> i like cold bubbly cafe yeah so that's all right yeah uh and of course i gotta have have my water going on all the time yes sir uh, you know to our audience uh, we very much appreciate you coming back week after week And, you know, the numbers have continued to grow, except for last week, I screwed up something in the, in the upload and that's messed up our numbers for the week, but uh, we're recovering very well. Uh, Thanks to all the guests that have been coming, but most importantly to the audience, thank you for your time.